Hey everyone, welcome to my show. I'm Tiffany Blockman, my so-called fabulous, and I am so happy to come to you today bringing a friend of mine that I, guys, I'm so transparent in this, but Dr. Robert Carson with Carson Hearing Care. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carson. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Well, I am so happy to have you here and I'm have you here for selfish reasons, but I also know with my audience and my followers that this is something that many of us are going through and it's hearing loss. And I'm 56 and how you and I met was you took care of my in-laws, mm-hmm. my uh, Floppy and Genevieve Blackman, they were they saw you, and then my sweet dad yep. sees you currently. Um, so, tell us a little bit about yourself because I have so many questions. Tell us about your business and how you got into the business of being an audiologist, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Audiologist is what I am. I have been for about twenty-five years now. Um, always worked for other people up until about eight years ago, and then just decided to throw my hat over a fence and chase it and um, learn to run a business and and have my own practice here in Fort Worth. It's been um, a lot of fun, certainly a lot more work than I ever anticipated, but I'm doing something I'm incredibly passionate about. So that old adage of if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life is really where I am. And every day I look forward to getting in and seeing patients and reconnecting and building relationships um, and helping people hear better in the process, which is fun to change lives. Right. Because you do. I mean, that's, I mean, my dad is, it's been amazing. And he, I think when daddy came to you, he was wearing hearing aids, right? But he, they just, how have, how, how has hearing aids changed? How okay. have they changed? Fair enough. I mean, because I'm going to talk about what I'm going through mm-hmm. and, but how, okay, let's back up. Let's, so it's kind of like this hidden, um, mysterious niche of technology that nobody talks about because it's hearing aids and everybody thinks about hearing aid technology as being something the size of a shoe that squeals, that's unattractive, that's difficult to operate, that's low tech. Um, but hearing the hearing aid industry has a progressed at the same, um, speed as all other technology in our world. Mm -hmm. So whether you're looking at cell phones or computers or, or video cameras, all of that technology is constantly improving. And it seems to be at about an 18 to 24 month cycle when improvements are there. And so over 25 years, I've seen hearing aids go from analog to digital, from, um, big and clunky, clunky to discrete and nearly invisible, um, to performing not well, to being exceptional to the point where, uh, at some point in the future, people with a hearing loss are actually going to hear better in a noisy situation than people without hearing aids wow. or with normal hearing because technology and directional microphone capabilities and Bluetooth streaming, uh, access with our iPhones, people just don't even understand this niche because nobody talks about it. They don't. And why, why don't we talk about it? Because the same reason I don't want to come see you, is that it? Because it's aging me or... And- Yeah. I mean, there's a stigma associated with having hearing aids, you know, all of a sudden you feel old or you look old and Mm -hmm. people are going to think I'm old. Um, But, you know, I I said earlier, I think that, and I tell my patients, you will appear older sitting in a group trying to participate in life, asking for repetition seven or eight times in a conversation than being able to seamlessly participate in a conversation and participate in life without asking for repetition. Um, But certainly people see hearing aids as a, my God, I'm old, I'm falling apart. But what people underestimate or don't think about is how important it is 
to correct a hearing loss. And the sooner that you do it, uh, the better the outcome. Um, If you don't use it, you lose it. And so there's huge studies that are started back in 2011 that talked about the relationship between hearing loss and cognitive decline. Um, It was been studied several times now and always backs up the case that people with a hearing loss are more likely to develop onset of dementia or Alzheimer's than those who have normal hearing. And so I tell my patients who are resistant or reluctant or just not motivated, not to use as a scare tactic, but to kind of plant a seed that it is so important that you stay connected to the world around you. And what I see with my older people who don't do anything about it is that they stop participating in life and they start to socially isolate themselves. They pull out of conversations. They stop going to the activities that they used to enjoy. Um, and then you, that tees up depression and withdrawal and all these other things that you can prevent if you take ownership earlier. Mm-hmm. The younger the brain, the better the outcome. So you're saying, I mean, repeat what you're saying. I mean, because I have a difficult time hearing, I might be. You're doing, you're doing yourself a disservice to not take ownership, but it's so hard to take that first step. And I'll tell you, I was born with a hearing loss and wear hearing aids, had hearing loss forever, but didn't start wearing devices until 18 to 20 years ago. Really? Because technology was so crumbing. Mm -hmm. I would rather just work really hard. And so I've developed incredible coping strategies. I'm a dangerous lip reader. You can put me anywhere and I can tell you what people are arguing about Mm -hmm. four aisles over, um, (laughs) which has some plus side. That's fun. Um, But you really learn to fill in the blanks and, and take the context of conversations and piece it together. But you're putting so much effort into something that we weren't designed to put effort into mm-hmm. when you're utilizing all these coping strategies. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, and it, it is, I mean, Robin, it's a stigma. And I've had a couple of my friends and and they would be like yourself. They wear hearing aids and they're mm-hmm. like, you're missing so much. And, and, and I, this morning I was in an event. I didn't hear a lot. And so I was laughing and, and, and I was, I was, ad living and they were asking me a question right. you know and of course they had mask on so which it, do, i mean that's been a killer for people these masks <sighs> but both people with a hearing loss and for people with hearing aids because mm-hmm. the masks get in the way of where hearing aids sit on the ear in some cases and oh, um gosh. and then the masks are stealing our biggest coping strategy which is speech reading and lip reading and visual cues mm-hmm. that we use to kind of piece together things when we don't hear well right um yeah. muffled and yeah. Dim, dull, distant. And, you know, the biggest complaint or the start that I hear for early onset people is when they start to say, you know, I hear fine. I just don't understand. And so I know you're, mean? I hear you, but I don't understand you. Say that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't need more volume. You need clarity. Mm-hmm. I can hear what you're saying, but am I having a hard time making out what you're saying? Um, so if people turn their back and walk out of the room and you're left without that oh. visual cue, you're like, can you just turn around and look at me? Because you don't realize how much effort you're putting into hearing when your ears alone aren't doing the job that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't designed to put effort into it. Right. Normal hearing people show up to any event and listen, hearing impaired people walk into a restaurant, start thinking about where they need to sit, leaning in, watching people intently, taking the context of the conversation, and you just start kind of paddling like heck underneath to keep your head above water. Mm -hmm. But we weren't designed to do that. And so you're stealing energy and putting more cognitive load on your brain that's very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the link between hearing loss and cognitive decline is that you're stealing that energy effort and you're more tired at the end of the day when you're having to put all this other effort into doing something that should be effortless. 
it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And that's why people pull out, withdraw, stop participating, because I'm just going to look at my enchilada instead of trying to participate at dinner because it's too much work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I, th- I I have watched dad do that through the years. And dad, the technology, when you, when he just, and when it was, okay, the, the Bluetooth capabilities and the working mm-hmm. with the iPhone, right? So yep. explain that is phenomenal, right? It is. You know, historically, the places where people struggle the most with hearing loss is first um, noisy environments. You'll start noticing when there's background noise, you're asking for repetition more often, or it's just much more difficult to hear. Um, And then people on the telephone have struggled for years. And it's because on the phone, you're flying blind with no visual cues. You're depending just on your ears and hearing to hear because there's no ability to look at people. And so with the improvements in technology, we can now stream phone calls from our smartphones directly into our devices, which gives those with a hearing loss who have struggled forever on the phone the opportunity to stream phone calls, audiobooks, music, um, Facebook videos, everything that they would enjoy on their smartphone or their iPads. Um, and they're getting that signal binaurally in both ears through a prescription that we've built to correct for their hearing loss. So where that's always been a complaint with hearing aids is now, uh, oh my gosh, I love my hearing aids because I can hear so well on the telephone and, and with anything that I'm streaming mm-hmm. from my device. Right. What is the, um, the age, what's the youngest person, what is the youngest um, client that you have or patient? My youngest currently is 14 and my oldest is 105. No way. Yeah. Crazy. <gasps> yeah. Crazy. Sharp as a tech. Um, yeah. About one in two people in a thousand born have a hearing loss. So it's, um, it's, I'm not a pediatric audiologist. So my wheelhouse is the adult population, which has always been what I loved is working with the adult population, usually over the age of 55. Um, and we encourage everybody to get a baseline audiogram. And I go out into the community and talk with physicians and I ask the question, why is it that on an annual eval, you'll send your patients to get a mammogram, a colonoscopy, get your skin checked, your eyes, your vision, but nobody ever suggests getting a baseline audiogram And they look at me and they say, I have no idea why we don't do that. Wow. And so it should just be a part of your annual evaluation. How how am I doing? Come get a baseline and see where you are. And then five years from now, we have at least one point in time that we can tell you if there's progression, if there's anything that's changed. Um, And so it's real important to just kind of incorporate that into an an annual eval of some kind. I need to get back in because I, I, I can lose it. You, you were telling me earlier about uh, when I came in to see you, you thought mm-hmm. that there was some, definitely some issues. That- well, and everybody's this cumulative effect of why they have a hearing loss. So, I mean, for you, clearly the family history is there. Yes. Explain that. Mm-hmm. And there is a genetic link without a doubt. Um, so sensory neural hearing loss, which is one kind of hearing loss and, and really the most um, common loss that we treat in our office, um, has several causes. One is uh, family history and genetics. Any medications you've taken over the course of your life, noise exposure. Um, and I know for you, you've kind of been under headset a lot in your life. A lot. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Um, my hunters, my um, power tool, construction workers, factory, all of that noise in your world um, contributes to hearing loss. And then the biggest factor is the process of getting older. Mm-hmm. So just like the nerves on every other part of our body, our nerves of hearing become less sensitive as we age. So, you, you know, for some people, it's a, you know, double, triple 
whammy because you have family history, you've had noise exposure over the years, and then we're getting older. And so it's kind of an inevitability for most people to have a hearing loss of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the age of 64, it's about 25% between 64 and, and 74. And from 74 on, you can say 50% of the people will have some kind of a hearing loss. Um, and there's not a lot that you, there's nothing you can do to recover hearing loss. Nothing. But there's so much that you can do to prevent further hearing loss. Because it just degenerates, right? Yeah. And it is what it is. And um, again, you can't restore it. But what I've seen over the couple of decades I've been doing this is that for people who seek treatment early, when it's appropriate, we are actually able to provide them with more clarity and speech understanding long term than people who don't choose treatment and choose to wait. So if I have an 86-year-old gentleman that comes into my office and should have been in there 30 years ago, he's going to be a far less successful hearing aid um, user than that person who has worn hearing aids for 25 years. Because you keep your brain wired for sound, you keep the clarity for speech understanding, um, and you just keep adapting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it really is a big deal. I'm baffled. I mean, I'm just... I, and it, and it is, and we mentioned this before the show, but it's vanity. It was 100% vanity for me. And it's that, um, yes, I'm aging. And, um, you know, I was wondering, I think I might've asked you before, but yes, it is your DNA genetic mm-hmm. and it is environmental. So, I mean, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> and you're getting older, right? I mean, and you can't help it. I can't. Um, no, no, no. But the thing, I mean, just like any health condition, whether it's getting a knee replacement or a hip replacement or getting your eyes done, um, the sooner you take out, uh, ownership, the better the outcome. It's just easier to recover. Rehab is easier. Your body, you know, takes to something new more easily mm-hmm. than the aged body at 90 years old. Right. It's interesting. Kennedy is 21. And she is already having some hearing issues. You know, she's like, I can't hear you. I mean, in, in the, you know, just reading lips is huge. Yep. But, um, you know, you and I were talking about this when I was in your office one day. And um, I'm embarrassed because I'm being called out a little bit. And I was at a, a photo shoot a couple months ago. And I'm the oldest person there at the, sh- the shoot. And the, the photographer is extremely, extremely soft-spoken. And... I, my daughter's with me and I can't hear the photographer and I just feel so horrible because everybody's like doing their thing. And, mm-hmm. and my daughter, she can't hear. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. And so mm-hmm. that is happening. And then, you know, I, I know it, I know it. I just, I just need to do it. But tell me about hearing aids. Like, okay. You're I mean, going to see them, right? That- well, you open up a whole can of worms discussion when you talk about hearing aids, because again, as I said earlier, I think people have this reference point of some really horrible beige piece of plastic that's in the ear and doesn't work well. Um, so, and that's not the case. I mean, it's really remarkable to me to see how technology is changing people's lives with better hearing, um, styles of hearing aids. There's so many to choose from. There are some hearing aids that you wear 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're completely invisible. They never come out of the ear. You shower with them. You sleep with them. um, And they just stay in your ear. And it's an extended wear hearing aid. There's only one on the market right now that is working well. Um, There's upsides and downsides to every style. Every hearing loss requires a different recommendation because of the potential or the capabilities of each of the styles that's so different. Um, I mean, one of the big, the elephant in the room is that hearing aids can be so expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge barrier for why people don't 
get help, frankly. My know. dad. That was a huge, huge It's for a him. huge barrier. And most insurance companies do not help cover the cost of hearing aids, which can be anywhere from $2,000 for a pair of hearing aids to as much as you know, $7,000 for a pair of hearing aids. And then I'll have people who look at me and say, how in the world do you choose where I belong um, on that scale? And there's really two very important questions. The most important is lifestyle. So if I have a 90-year-old woman who never leaves her house and does jigsaw puzzles all day but doesn't interact with people and is never a noise, she's somebody who'll do just as well with entry-level technology as someone like me with a hearing loss and three teenagers and I work full-time, we eat out way too much, and I'm in complex, challenging listening situations on a daily basis. I need technology that can keep up with my lifestyle and I'm willing to pay for that technology. Mm -hmm. So you kind of choose where do you fall on this spectrum? It's lifestyle. And and of course, budget comes into play for everybody too. So you make mindful decisions based on me understanding each lifestyle that comes in the door and also being sensitive to the fact that uh, it's expensive. And let's figure out where the point of diminishing returns is for every patient that comes in and make a selection or a recommendation based on what's most appropriate. You said earlier about the showering. I mean, you can wear some of these when you're showering. One. Just one. My interest is peaked. (laughs) Um, Yes, there is. There's one company. It's called Phonak. It's a Swiss company. um, And they have a product called the Lyric, which is the only extended wear product on the market. Uh, I've worked with it for probably 15 years, and then it was brought to market um, by Phonak. So they got some money behind it and could really start to market the product to to professionals. Um, It's a niche product. It's a subscription-based product. But for those people who have dexterity issues, which is a large percentage of my people, they can't find their ears. They can't uh, operate batteries. They can't insert the devices. They've had a stroke. Maybe they can't work one arm at all. Um, Having a device that I can install in the ear that will stay there for two months and then they come back into my office. We return, we remove the devices and we install new devices and I'll see you in another two months. No way. Yeah. So it's one product people don't think about. I mean, hearing aids today, I think hearing aid batteries are going to be a thing of the past. Um, Please, mo- poor most, dad. I know. Most devices today, uh, depending upon the style of device, are rechargeable. So there aren't batteries. You put them on a charging base all night. You take them off the charge. You put them in your ear and you're good to go. Um So there's just always something around the corner that's improving. And even me, somebody who wears devices, I always think, what will they think of next? And then sure enough, that next, you know, 24 month period when something new is introduced from whatever manufacturer, there's always something that's far superior to the previous generation. So it's an exciting, it's exciting to have a hearing loss. I spent the first half of my life trying to figure out who to blame it on. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of my life being so grateful that I had one because it led me to a career that I adore and, um, It's fun to have that firsthand understanding of what it means to have a hearing loss and to also be able to try every product that's available and vet it out before I ever recommend it for somebody else. So tell us about your hearing loss. So you were born. Born with a hearing loss. Um, How did you know? Didn't. Um, There are certain configurations of audiograms. So I can look at somebody's hearing test and see if it's noise induced or is it congenital. Uh, There's certain configurations that kind of indicate noise, uh, chemotherapy. Um, And so for me, I started noticing I was always in front of an audiologist as a kid, but I was that kid with ear infections all the time, chronic. um, And I was the huh kid. My parents would say I was always saying, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember sitting in front of the audiologist, looking through the glass, never thinking I would ever be one. Um, but when we started doing my own testing for me, it's, I hear you, but I don't understand you. So I have a configuration that's this 
weird little notch in my hearing um, that wipes out kind of the high frequency consonant sounds of speech. So an example, if I'm driving in my car when my kids were little and they were in the back seat talking to me, I couldn't use my coping strategy of looking back over my shoulder to watch them to fill in the blanks with the visual cues because I'm driving. And so I would find myself annoyed with my kids in the backseat who are trying to have a conversation. And I'm saying, I hear you, please, if, without devices, I hear you, but I, I really have a struggle with understanding what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so my loss is very treatable and I do really well with devices. I tell people with that early onset hearing loss, um, which is a similar I have a similar issue with respect to clarity is that devices are like reading glasses for your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember turning 40 and, you know, my arms weren't long enough and I was doing all this stuff to try to, to see well. And I put reading glasses on and I thought, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> I can <laughs> relax and read, you know, wow. but I, you don't realize that you start putting this effort into squinting, uh. reading, asking someone to help you. And then you put glasses on. And you're like, well, that was easy. Right. And that's what devices are like for so many people, especially early onset is you put them in, you say, yeah, this is different. They feel different, but okay. Um, I would say awareness and annoyance is typical for people who start wearing devices. Discomfort and pain is never an option. Um, But once you realize that you can relax and sit in a group of people without having to scramble and fill in the blanks and do all the stuff you do to keep your head above water, you say, most people say, I can't believe I didn't do this years ago. Wow. It's not that big of a deal. Hmm. Mm. But it seems like such a big deal because of the stigma. It is. It is. I I know when I... (laughs) When I, I'm remembering now, recalling when I came to you and I was like, no, I mean, no, I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm actually good. We're going to just wait, wait yeah. for a while. And, you know, <laughs> I, I tell all new patients that come to the office um, that I haven't met before that, you know, there's potential outcomes, four of them for this visit. One is there's something mechanically wrong with your ear that I can't fix and we'll send you on to an ear, nose and throat doctor. Um, we might uncover a hearing loss, but it's not enough hearing loss to do anything about I'm a very conservative recommender of hearing aids and devices because I think there's a lot to be said for developing coping strategies too. Um, sometimes there's a hearing loss. I know I could help, but there is zero motivation. It's never going to work. And so without motivation and people having an interest in taking ownership and correcting the problem, doesn't matter what technology I fit, it's never going to be successful. And that's okay. We have a baseline. We'll see you in a year. And at some point, your hearing loss becomes enough of a struggle where you throw in the towel and mm-hmm. you kind of cry uncle and say, okay, what, I need to fix this. Well, when I, when you, when you explained to me that I early onset dementia might be in my future, if I, if I, if I continue this way, that, that, that catches my attention loud yeah. and clear. I mean, uh, John Hopkins did a study in 2011 and really found three reasons for that. One is I discussed that cognitive load. You're putting all this load on your brain to do stuff we weren't designed to, to do. Um, and again, the social isolation that comes from that, because it's easier to just kind of look at your food instead of trying to participate. Um, and it's all preventable. You know, if there's one thing you can do to prevent cognitive decline, and that is to fix a sensory neural hearing loss by restoring hearing, that's to me enough of a kind of lighting a fire mm-hmm. under me to say, I want to take ownership. You know, and I, and I, I'm dad, you, I know you're going to listen to this, but I feel like sometimes dad's is not working. Is it, what is going on? Does that, and, and I've told you that before mm-hmm. and you're like, what? I mean, is it? Well, he- there's two factors, you know, there's, how do we hear? And then how do we process sound? And so the older our brains become, sorry, dad, sorry, dad, um, 
it becomes harder to have the clarity that you once had. And I'm not sure if your dad was wearing hearing aids when I met him or not, because this goes back 15 years ago. I I agree. I don't think he was. And so, you know, he might be an example of, um, you know, maybe because he was a noise exposure guy, right? If you recall, he said this to you, um, he worked when he was 19 years old in a glass factory. Okay. And do you recall, he said, I would go on break in, in the lunchroom and he would just have buzzing in his ear, like Tinn- like, tinnitus. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, is that, is that, and he was just like, it was so loud. Of, cu- of course they weren't re- using ear protection. No, we didn't know any better, you know? And so we would, you know, resilient, we're going to be fine. But yeah, that noise exposure is terrible. And you bring up something that's really typically a sidekick to hearing loss for a lot of people, which is tinnitus or tinnitus. It's pronounced both ways, but kind of a ringing, buzzing, roaring, hissing. People describe it very differently, but an ongoing sound in the ear or even in the head, they can't even kind of isolate where the sound is coming from, um, is oftentimes an indication of injury to the ear. And about 70% of the people that present with rigging in the ears have hearing loss and we can help with the tinnitus. And so tinnitus is a crazy misunderstood phenomenon. We're not even sure where it comes from or what part of the body is creating it, but it can be so debilitating and devastating for people um, because you can't get away from it. It's a freight train in your head or it's a high-pitched pure tone that goes on forever and you can't get away from it. Most of us can kind of filter it out. We get busy in our day. We don't pay any attention, but I lay in bed at night and it's perfectly quiet and all I hear is this ringing in my head. Um, and it really is a challenge. So mm-hmm. tinnitus is a, a whole kind of different separate part of our practice trying to understand that beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so with dad having environmental, when that, okay, so dad is in his 70s now, but I aerobic instructor in college, Mm -hmm. screaming in a mic, screaming into teaching spin classes. Um, Does that have anything to do? I mean, music blaring like out of control. Yes. I mean, that's that's all the noise exposure part of it. And again, like I said, it's this cumulative effect. So if you've already had this predisposition genetically to have a hearing loss, and then you add to that the beat down that you give your ears with rock and roll music or gunfire and recreational use of firearms or fireworks or, I mean, any blasts that were around. I mean, my pilots, my dentists using high-speed dental drills, oh, um, wow. things you don't even think about professionally that you just do. That was you. Your profession was noisy. Um So what you can do in that situation, if you can identify with being that person who lives in a loud world or who does things that are dangerously loud for our ears, is the single most important thing that you can do is protect the hearing that you have with hearing protection. Um, So you can get custom earplugs. I have a lot of um, my hunters that come in for hunter ears that they can hear conversational speech, but it doesn't allow things to get too loud or dangerously loud. Um, But yeah, absolutely, you should be protecting your hearing. But there are folks, and your father falls into this category, um, and I don't remember the percentages exactly with his testing, is that he will continue even though things are loud enough to still misunderstand Mm -hmm. because um, there's a percentage score or a test that we do in the office, which really is the most important test we do, and it's called speech discrimination testing. And very fortunately for me, If you overcome my hearing loss by turning things up the way I need them to be, I'm going to understand 100% of what you're saying to me. Your dad, for example, and these numbers won't be accurate, um, we can turn everything up for his brain where he says, yep, that's loud and that's comfortable and I hear it well, but he's only going to repeat back 60% of the words correct. Mm -hmm. So it's loud enough for him, 
but we hear with our brains and mm. not with our ears. And so whatever processing is going beyond the ear um, can be really a challenge for folks. Mm-hmm. And they'll continue to say, with, and your dad has a really big hearing loss um, and reduced discrimination, which is kind of a double-edged sword for him. He's got a double whamming. And what is reduced discrimination? That 60% versus 100%. Okay, gotcha. So even though things are loud enough, they're not clear enough. Sure. Um, and the higher that score, the better the outcome. The younger the brain, the higher the score. And <laughs> so um, we see for people who don't treat hearing loss, their speech discrimination scores will decline at a much more rapid pace than people who stay amplified and start amplification early. Mm-mm. And it's just keeping your brain wired for sound um, and keeping things sharp, bright, and crisp, which is what you need to be able to understand speech successfully. You know, I had that. You you, you, you knew I wasn't ready when I saw you years ago. Um, yeah, you but, didn't have to say anything. No, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for telling me I can't hear anything. But um, I, you said that you had shared with your family, you know, I, you know, just you should speak loudly or, or and my family does do that. They do. They make sure that they're looking at me and mm-hmm. I just had to have a conversation. You know, it's hurting my feelings, but. I mean, this is, it's my responsibility too. So, I mean. And it's an invisible disability. No one looks at you mm-hmm. and says, I shouldn't hear well. Where, you know, if you're a blind man with a cane, it's very clear you don't see and people are going to make accommodations for sure, you. Sure. But hearing loss is invisible. Um, there are certainly communication strategies that I discuss a lot. I'm smiling because I think about the amount of marriage counseling I do in my office um, with husbands and wives who can't stand each other anymore because of their hearing loss. Is that true? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I'll be honest, and I can pick on hearing impaired people because I'm one of them. It's more annoying for the people around you than it is for the person with the hearing loss. Really? Yes. Because And what happens, and I see it with marriages often, is that... Um, They stop communicating or they never mind, forget about it. And they do the whole, you know, or they raise their voice and it sounds like they're being yelled at and the the person saying, please don't yell at me. And they're like, I just want you to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tell people all the time, life is in the subtlety, fun parts of life, the banter, the sidebar conversations, the punchline of the jokes, the, I mean, those things that aren't intentional, one-on-one, well-lit speaking with people that can articulate well, but it's the fun stuff. And that's what you start missing when you have a hearing loss mm-hmm. is all the little subtleties in life and the conversations that are happening around you, not necessarily with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important to fix. It is absolutely important to fix it just to stay plugged in. Um, can you hear now You with your hearing? Oh yeah. Voice? I'm a beautiful hearing aid candidate. I have great discrimination. Um, yeah, I do great. I do great. And I'm always, I'm always trying something new, which makes it fun. And um, sometimes as technology comes out, it's a repackaged old idea that really isn't any better. And sometimes it's a huge improvement. And so it's fun to play with it. Is it? So mm-hmm. you change, you, I mean, you just try out different companies. And- yeah, they'll send them and I, I'll wear them. Um, and it's, it's kind of fun. But I mean, my old comfortable pair of shoes, my hearing aids are, you know, two or three years old. So I don't replace them. The average life expectancy of devices can be between three and five or four to six years. Um, but that takes into account, you know, my early adopters who every two years are interested in getting new technology and want the latest and greatest. Um, and my people have hearing aids for 10 years because they're still serving them well and they're happy with them and they don't want to get new ones. That's fine. So it really is an average. So when you invest in better hearing, you're looking at a solution over the course of the next four to six years. 
to keep you going. So if if you were to to put me in a pair of hearing aids, how often would I need to see you? Um, typical, like looking forward, we do the hearing evaluation, we make recommendations, the patient accepts treatment. Um, we move forward with a hearing aid fitting appointment, which is usually about a week or two after the initial consultation. Um, and then I, I'm a handholder to beat the band because I think it's just important to a develop the relationship for them to trust me, to tell me how I need to help them hear better. And it takes a while for brains to adapt and acclimate and, and kind of, move on with this process and to accept it successfully. So you're looking at two or three visits after the hearing aid fitting. And then I see everybody every four to six months for the rest of our lives. And I, I joke and say, you know, we grow old together because it's mm -hmm. a lifetime partnership. Yeah. And I is. can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. And so we just work together to do the best that we can. Do you see, or is there at this point, and I'm not sure how to say this, an implant that is surgically, is that implanted in is that what, what, yeah, what you am might I trying be to say? Thinking about cochlear implant, Rush Limbaugh is a great example of somebody who was implanted bilaterally. Both ears had cochlear implants. Um, cochlear implants are typically for patients when hearing instruments or amplification is no longer beneficial. Um, they grow out of getting help with hearing aids or hearing progresses at such a rate where their cochlea in the inner ear is not responding to amplification um, or their discrimination is so poor. Um, and so a cochlear implant is a surgery. Nobody wants to be a cochlear implant candidate, but that technology has improved at the same rate as hearing aids. And it's unbelievable now. Um, but it's a surgery where they surgically ablate the cochlea and, and replace the hair cells in our inner ear with um, an electrical array and you get electrical impulses and that's how we hear. So it's very different. I am not an authority on cochlear implants at all. It really is a whole different kind of um, niche in the audiology profession, but also a great solution for those people where hearing aids no longer help them. Hmm. Is dad a, would, would dad be a, I would have to look back, um, but he would be a wonderful person if I looked at his audio and gave it kind of a quick glance to go get a consultation, mm -hmm. um, that would be with an ear, nose and throat physician, um, which I could certainly find somebody. And then they do a whole cochlear implant evaluation, which is so different from the audiological evaluation that we do. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so, that is, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Mm. It's crazy. The, 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 the technology. And I remember when dad did get his hair names and I'm sorry to pick on you, dad, but the, the, the phone, the device. And, and I do know you have such great technology and technicians in your office and incredible to teach and learn. But my generation, uh, they, some of us don't even know how to get it on a podcast. I mean, we don't even have how to pull up an app. Mm -hmm. So there's that learning you know what I mean? The whole like it's, teaching the iPhone and yeah, you know, and, and I mean, I have patients who still carry around the flip phone and I no. say, put it back in your pocket. You're embarrassing yourself. But <laughs> now that's aging yourself yeah, there. Like, what are we doing? Oh, but you're, do you remember how sexy the razor flip phone was? Oh, it was yeah. that silver razor flip phone. And you thought you had oh. reached the top for technology if you could take out your razor phone. And then I look in my junk drawer at the iPhone 4, this short, squatty, square, mm -hmm. blocky that we thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I laugh at it. And, and I feel that way about hearing aids too. Look back at hearing aids 10 years and I think, gosh, we used to think we were killing it with mm -hmm. this technology. And it's just so different. So tell me this. So if, if I can you I'm <laughs> vanity here. Can you see? I mean, you can see that. I mean, if I wore a pony, which I do, ponytail, you can see 
It depends on the style of hearing aids. I mean, there are patients who say to me, Robin, if anybody can see any part of this hearing aid, I'm not going to wear them. Well, that becomes my number one priority. You know, I mean, and that's my job then is to figure out what is a solution that's going to work for this, which manufacturer is going to build a product that can do what we need to do. Um, and so it's absolutely an option. There are some audiograms, and I don't think it's yours, that kind of don't allow you to fit discrete tiny in the ear hearing aids because either you need more power than they can provide um, or they're just not going to sound good based on the audiometric configuration. But there is a solution for everybody. There's a big five or six hearing aid manufacturing companies and they all do things that are different or have their wheelhouse of what they do the best. And there is a solution for everybody. And, and, you know, what I love about having my own practice is that there's no cookie cutter approach where everybody gets the same hearing aid. You mm -hmm. know, I'm going to evaluate your hearing. I'm going to listen to your lifestyle. I'm going to understand your dexterity, your interest in the cosmetic part of it. And I'm going to find a solution that's tailored to you um, from whatever manufacturer out there build something that's going to be the best solution for you. See, and I had no idea, and I'm quite certain my listeners don't eat as well, but I had no idea there were so many options. I thought there was just like two. No, no. no. I, you know, it, and it's, again, it's, again, it's because people don't talk about it. Um, people no. don't talk about it. And, and so often physicians will dismiss a mild hearing loss mm -hmm. as no big deal. And they'll even say, well, don't do anything. And they're wrong. You know, I mean, there's a big impact in, especially for people that are active and busy and traveling and in restaurants and groups and spending time with family. Um, even a mild hearing loss can have an impact on how you can participate with your loved ones. Mm -hmm. It's depressing too. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. depressing because it's, it's, in talking to you today, I know, now I know even more so. I shouldn't. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, you couldn't get out of there quick enough. No, You're I like, couldn't. Out. Bye -bye. I like you so yeah. much, but I'm going to go, Dad, yeah. I'll see you. Yeah, bye-bye. You guys finish up. Um, yeah, I mean, and it has to be successful. And I think one of the fears and because of the cost and the barrier for a lot of people who truly can't afford it, and I respect the fact that it's expensive, it needs to be as successful as it can be given um, what the expectation is, what we're trying to accomplish. And so at our practice, if we fit devices, we may play around with four or five different manufacturers or different styles. Or um, And if at the end of a month and a half period of time and we've tried everything and you've given it everything and you're just not ready or you're not committed or you're not motivated or you don't like it, you don't keep hearing aids. You know, we return devices, factory fully refunds patients for whatever we paid. Um, so there isn't this, you're stuck with something that's not going to work. And that's one of the things that we work really hard at my practice to make sure that all of our patients are happy and satisfied and doing the very best that they can, which is different with every individual that wow. comes in. I did not know that. Yeah. You can well, just, I'll be down. Yeah. Cause I'm not listening. <laughs> I am not listening. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of flexibility and it really is about finding solutions for people. Does anyone in your family have, since you have hearing loss at none of your children, cause you have no. three children, you know, and they do newborn hearing screening now. And that started back in the early nineties where every baby born in a hospital uh, is screened for hearing loss before they um, leave. Really? And said, so, um, and how they, would you do that? I know. Right. You, how do they raise their hand when they hear the beat? <laughs> um, you do it with electrodes and okay. you're measuring brain responses to a clicking sound that mm -hmm. we put into the ear. Wow. So if your brain responds to the click, we assume that you're hearing it. Wow. And so it's called ABR automated brainstem response testing. Um, and so 
Nobody in my family and all of my kids, and of course I was excited when they all came back after their newborn hearing screening testing that they, not, neither of them, none of them, the three of them had a hearing loss. Uh, my grandmother did just as a process of getting older, but I have this funky little configuration that isn't typical for anything other than, hmm, just really? born that way. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, again, like I said, it's been a blessing. Hmm. Um, oh my goodness. Of course it has been. I mean, what, what you would never think, but you know, now I, I get, get to show up somewhere and do what I love to do and help other people. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, um, I didn't, this is you and I are in a podcast studio. I mean, obviously that is soundproof and, but we have headphones on and I love this. I hear so well. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Like, it's just, I wish I could just do this all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ruin your hair. Um, but <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> I will say the reason for that is because sound isn't propagating across the room to get to you and deteriorating. Mm-hmm. So you're hearing everything right here right at your there. ear. Mm-hmm. It's at beautiful. A, a, right. It's mm-hmm. comfortable. It's crisp. It sounds good. It's easy to hear. I mean, your reality is, and again, hearing loss, for most people, drifts over time. So as your hearing begins to drift, you develop these coping strategies to keep yourself plugged in. Um, but I lost my train of thought. It, it happens. But yeah, so people at home who struggle with the television will use a TV ears or a headset for their TV for that same reason as that sound doesn't need to propagate. They can hear the television beautifully. Um but it's about trying to find correction because you can't walk around with a headset on. Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Yeah. No, I can't. But it's great. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I just love it. Um, so tell us, the, a patient comes into your office. What do you do? What's the process? Mm-hmm. So uh, like I said earlier, we encourage everybody over the age of 50 to do a baseline audiogram. Um, we don't charge for any of that testing. And it's in a, been a way for us to encourage the physicians in the community to do this because it's important. Um, and don't so, charge for it. No, oh we don't. Oh my gosh. Because I really see, and, and I, uh, this is frowned upon by many audiology of the audiology community because they think I'm giving away professional services. But the way that I operate is I feel like my job is to help you hear better. And so I need to understand the problem. And that problem requires extensive testing And then I can tell you if it can help you. Mm -hmm. And so the hearing testing process takes a good 30 minutes. I think the education on the audiogram um, is critical. I want nothing more than patients that come into my office to leave with the very best explanation of their hearing loss and an understanding of their ears and hearing that they've never had before. Um, And it doesn't mean you need to do anything with the information, but know where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see in a year. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I, I tell people I could have been a social worker just as well as an audiologist because the favorite part of my work is the relationship building and sitting with people and understanding their lifestyles. And, and really our practice um, is like a family. Mm-hmm. And so everybody who comes in, we love each other and um, we all get to know each other really well. Right. And it's a lifetime process. It is a lifetime process. And we tell people too that, Finding a provider, I think, is equally, if not more important than finding a solution. So you have to be working with a provider that you feel comfortable with, that you can have a dialogue that's open and honest, where um, you can create some vulnerability for patients to, I mean, it takes vulnerability for you to say, I'm vain, I'm uncomfortable with this, the cosmetic part of it, the stigma, that's vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know, and then Mm -hmm. being able to share that with someone and then have someone understand that and, and 
take that information to come up with a solution that's tailor-made for everybody. Right, because it's true. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed, but but it's true. I mean, I my brother-in-law uh, has talked to me about, you know, hearing aids. He's He has a hearing aid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can't see it, Tiff. And I went, but I can, yeah. you know. <laughs> But he doesn't care. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? He doesn't care. So men are usually worse than women, if I'm being honest. Really? Because most women say, you know, they have hair, they can cover it up, they change their hairstyle. But like you said, you wear it up in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's anybody who comes in and said, I don't care what they look like. I just want to hear well. No, you're lying to me. <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> cares. I mean, it, when do you stop really caring? Exactly. Um, so that is something that's important. Certainly degrees of importance and priority is different for everybody. But. Exactly. Exactly. So you were saying that your your practice is like your family. It's like a family. It's just so warm and welcoming. And I love every person in there. And again, I'm not her patient. <laughs> just make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> just say it. Yeah. No, I seriously am. But um. Everyone is just so kind and welcoming. My dad, of course, he I feel he comes in and he just wants to talk to you. And if he can't see you, he's not a happy man because he loves you so much, loves everyone in the office. But tell us about, I love when you come in because you have a little puppy or a cat or. Yeah, we do crazy fun stuff. You know, I decide I work a lot of hours and I, you know, I always work for other people doing what I loved, but not always loving where I did it. And so when I went out on my own eight years ago, I thought, I want to create an environment where I want to show up every day and work, which means it has to be fun. I want to be involved in the community. I want our practice to be generous with giving back to the community. Um, And so we do crazy things. In two years, we fostered 49 dogs. I can't believe I know. I'm I'm either can my husband. Um, They came home with me every night. They'd come to the office all day and... I started with one dog and I said, well, let's just see what happens. It's kind of fun. Everybody loves a puppy. And four hours later, this dog was adopted. And so then I got a second dog and we just kept doing this. And then you set goals. Well, if I can get to 10 dogs, I will have done my thing. And we work with Saving Hope. Saving Hope. Mm -hmm. That's Saving Hope, Animal Rescue. Um, And so we got to 10 dogs and then you say 20 dogs and um, then your carpet cleaning bills get really big and then your husband wants to leave you because you keep coming home with more dogs. And so we got through 49 dogs and then COVID, COVID struck. But 60% of the dogs that we have in the practice um, are adopted by patients right? or patients, neighbors, friends who, well, Betty was just saying she wanted to get into. So it turned out being like the sideshow and people would stop me and say, you're the dog lady. <laughs> And I'd be like, well, I mean, actually, I'm an audiologist, but that's kind of become my sideshow. Your, your side hustle is your dog, my your dog lady. Yeah. And so we do fun uh, fall festivals and spring festivals and adoption events and have food trucks in the parking lot. Um, and we just poured our heart into the Saving Hope, these animals. And so it, it's turned out um, to be a fun thing. Uh, we actually have a sign on the door that said the foster dog is in or the foster dog is out. <laughs> and we have people who come by just to see the dog. They don't need anything to do with us or or their ears or hearing, but they, they just come by to pet a dog or see a puppy. So you walk in her office, her beautiful office, and there's a puppy or a dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is dog and cats? Is it, or Most, just, it's all been dogs. It's all been dogs. So you walk in, you see this dog. I mean, you're either attracted to the dog or you're not. And mm-hmm. I never had a dog until Lala. Okay. I have never had a dog. So until I was, 50, I have had her four years now. So 
you know, traumatic experience with uh, as a child being mauled by a dog. Terrible. And so, you know, yeah, just so I was so anti-dog. But you walk in and I was just like, oh my gosh, so sweet. So, sweet. so you have this dog and then someone says they want to adopt it, right? Yeah. And there is nothing, and I have wonderful pictures because we involve our patients and, you know, the social media, the, the posting of these dogs. And there is nothing better than to say to an older gentleman who's lonely and lives alone, and I want to take his hearing aids into the lab and clean them or to look in his ears to say, you know what? I'll be right back. And you put a puppy in these people's hands and they beam. It's wow. the first time I've seen people smile and, you know, because everybody loves a puppy. Right. And so it kind of just became a warm, fuzzy, therapeutic, cool side hustle to use your <laughs> So, yeah, but my Dog husband, lady. I mean, my, he, my husband put the kibosh on it with COVID. Oh, um, and so I have respected that. I'm waiting to break the house rule and we have to get 50. I mean, you don't stop oh, at 49. What are you saying, girl? Who stops at 49? No, no one stops yeah, at 49. So, so how long is, what's the longest amount of time that you have had a, a puppy at your, at, you at your house? Cause you, you take her. Huh? I take them home. Yeah. So I take them home and then the office staff takes care of them all day. So everybody takes a turn taking them out. Everybody worries about cleaning up after them because it's not always fun or you know, it's, it's a lot of work for everybody. Um, but my shortest was four hours. And then I had a horrible chihuahua for four and a half months. I remember this one. Yeah. And finally, somebody from New Jersey saw this dog and fell in love. And so I, the dog was so screwed up in terms of just, you know, <laughs> struggling to, to, to like people. And, and I thought, I'm not going to send this dog on a plane. Right. And so we made a weekend trip and flew this ridiculous chihuahua to New York, uh-uh. um, took, drove it to New Jersey and then spent the weekend in New York Mm-mm. city. So yeah, four and a half months was our longest. Um, what a giver, the dog lady. Oh, what a celebration to get rid of that dog. Was it? <laughs> I mean, it was a tough dog. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Like oh. ran from you and didn't like people. Um, <sighs> So, um, <laughs> and the lady in New Jersey, she didn't know. She just saw his picture. <laughs> poor thing. Poor thing now. I know. I know. Not your problem. Exactly. Jeez. It's all yours. We're going to New York city. Oh my um, gosh. But yeah, fun story. Oh, that is just so amazing. So tell me, you were saying you're starting some new things at your office. What's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, in our industry, I have always felt like there's this huge disconnect with how we gather information about hearing loss. Um, and as I talk to professionals all over the country and the community and audiology, Facebook pages and social media, um, everybody was all over the map with how they counseled their patients and actually delivered the information that we gathered. And the audiogram is a very confusing graph that we write all over, draw circles and arrows. We make it a more confusing graph. There's no clarity for patients. And so about three or four years ago, I got um, all excited about building a tool and it's called HearView. Um, that allows me to bring the audiogram to life. And so you take this very confusing audiogram, we now plot it up on an iPad. Um, and so we're able to demonstrate to patients what their hearing loss really means, what speech sounds are impacted as a result of their hearing loss. And then the real beauty in HearView is that you can simulate speech sounds and music, or I can even record this patient's wife's voice and say, this is how you hear your voice. Mm-mm. And then simulate and say, this is how your husband hears your voice. What? And so the amount of compassion and empathy that was being infused into our practice as a result of people finally understanding their hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just built the tool for me because I was so dedicated to the patient process and the experience and the patient journey is something I kind of geek out about. 
But as I was hearing these patients say, my gosh, I've had my hearing tested eight times. I've never understood it. I thought, well, this is something that every patient should have the opportunity to experience and every provider should be able to talk about the audiogram in a fun way, which it's not a fun thing to, audiology is not fun. Um, but one of the core values at our practice, or number one is fun. And so how can we bring the audiogram to life, which helps remove denial from the process, which is the single most uh, leading factor for why people don't take ownership is they're in denial. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I don't need anything. That's me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and lack of clarity. They don't understand the results of the hearing test. Mm -hmm. and if you don't understand something, you're not going to take ownership either. So HearView has been a great way for us to remove denial, improve clarity, streamline our processes and our practice. Um, and so back in October, we launched this and spoke at a conference in Denver. Um, and we're trying to get this thing off the ground and wow. we kind of provide a tool for audiologists to help connect patients with their hearing loss. And it's well received, I'm sure, right? Yeah. You know, COVID's hard because it's one of those Ugh, tools yeah. that you want to put it in people's hands. And once you touch it and you're actually touching an audiogram and interacting with an audiogram, which is something we don't touch or interact with, um, it sells itself. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. And we need to get out to conferences again, but we're looking wow. forward to it. Wow. Do you see that? For, I mean, do you see it happening? Yes. I mean, I'm all in. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm fully vaccinated, I say, but are I, you? yes, Good. I am. And so I'm excited to get back out there. Um, we are signed up for conferences and, and over the course of the next year. Um, and so we're just going to kind of hopefully go big or go home. And, right. And Did you have time. to shut your office down closed during COVID? Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. And then we did, you know, curbside emergency only call us on the phone. When you get there, we'll come to you. Oh, and then gosh. we started kind of putting a morning patient and an afternoon patient and doing our best that we could to sanitize and create a safe environment. Um, and now we're back to full tilt. Um, Good. And I'm starting to see masks come down. You know, we asked the vaccinated question, and um, so people are getting more comfortable and finding a new normal, which mm -hmm. is nice. It's it, very hard to build relationships with people behind a mask that you've oh, met for the first time. It's, um, it's so hard. And Zoom calls. and mm -mm. It's just not the same as touching someone's knee or making eye contact and being face-to-face -face and seeing someone smile. Some people don't smile with their eyes. Right. And so I don't know, are you mad at me or right. are you finding me funny right now? Um, so it's nice to start to see people. I actually said to a gentleman yesterday who I started back a year ago with, he said he had his, he was vaccinated. And I said, I am too. I said, so let's take our mask down. Oh, right. And I said, look at your handsome face. I've oh. been seeing you every four months for, you know, the last year and wow. even more so when we first started working together. And I'm like, that's the first time I saw you. Isn't that something? So, yeah. I'm excited to get back to that. That's great. Greg was vaccinated. He had his second shot this past week. So, but I still have the antibodies. We all three had it. All okay. three of us, um, Kennedy, myself and Greg, I was the first one diagnosed, but you yeah. know, yeesh. Well, I took the antibody test and it was probably the only time I took a test and wanted it desperately to come back positive. positive. You know? <laughs> and it didn't. I was like, well, dang it. I know. I know. I, we we traveled to, to Cabo and we still had the antibodies. I mean, we were Thanksgiving. We still have them. So that's exciting. That is so, exciting. Yeah, it is. But Greg wanted the, he wanted the the vaccine. He was desperately wanting that. I'm like, did you have the antibodies? But he's, he was ready. You know? Well, and I think, if, you know, I know nothing about this, hardly the authority, but I think if you have the antibodies and you've had COVID and then you get the shot, you're even more mm, protected. One would think. think. other strains, but I'm making all this up. I yes, know. I hear you. Yeah. I know. I know. You know, we, uh, Paul and I said last March, the last week of March when, uh, well, actually right before we were shut down, we said, you know what? We're going to talk about this anymore just because it's so negative. We're over a year later. Here we are. You know, just can't believe 
you know, what's if going. anybody had ever said to me a year ago, you're going to live under a mask for eight hours a day oh. for the next 12 months, I would have said, you're crazy. You're crazy. But now I can be at home cooking dinner with my mask still on my face because yeah. I've forgotten Forgot it's there. Forgot to take it off. Right. Yeah. Ugh, I know. So, yeah. Hey, I have a question for you. This is interesting because I know my husband would want to know this. So I can't hear him speak half the time. Okay. But he, I can hear him smack. I can hear the person across. If Paul is smacking in the booth right now, I can hear him. What is that? I mean, I'm not kidding. In B&B restaurant, I can hear. Is it all mouth noises that drive you nuts? Well, it's just like. There a, is a thing. Yeah. Like, there's a thing about stop mouth. Stop smacking. Yeah. I mean. I'd be lying if I could remember the term, but yeah, there is absolutely something about mouth noises that can have someone's nerve. Um, and I don't think it's related to your hearing loss. Oh, it's not. So, so he's like, how in the world can you not hear me, but you can hear me smacking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, that is so weird. And my daughter does it too. Not funny. I, I mean, is it not a pitch or a... I don't know. I, I really don't think it has anything to do. I, you no. didn't know that was coming at no, you. No, did. I didn't. But I mean, I know it's a thing. I just don't know what the thing's called. I don't but know, but it's, I can hear. I, and honestly, I can't hear the couple fighting across the room, but yeah. I can hear them smack. It cracks me up. Mm-mm. Low worried. tolerance for smacking. <laughs> now, this is Dr. Carson cannot cure me yeah, of no, this. Right, okay, no. things you can't do. You need earplugs and not hearing aids, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Okay, I'm going to make an appointment. Good, doing it, yes. everyone. You heard me say it on here. I'm going to make an appointment, and I'm going to do an appointment it. just to learn more and to experiment. Be a guinea pig. I tell people. Okay. You tell me. Don't let me tell you. Okay. You well, wear them and see if it's a game changer. If it's not, you know, we'll part as friends and we'll try it again when something new comes out. Well, and you know, you know everything about me. You you can pretty much diagnose where I need to be as far mm-hmm. as what's important to me. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, I've. You're crazy not to learn more. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us how we can find you. Your website, you're on Camp Bowie in Fort Worth, correct? We are uh, on the bricks of Camp Bowie. We are at 5104 Camp Bowie, which is across from Tokyo Cafe. I'm a foodie. So Tokyo Cafe, in between Lucille's and Uncle Julio's and across from Tokyo <laughs> Cafe. Um, and our website is carsonhearing.com. And you can learn about our practice. You can see videos of our office and, and kind of meet the staff and also see testimonials from patients and, um, see that, you know, that's a fun place to be and we, we do the best we can. And I, you know, I, I know one thing I'm, I care so much about everybody that comes in the door and about their success that, um, it's just always fun. And then it becomes a birds of a feather because so many people send their friends in and then it mm-hmm. makes it even more of a family environment. It's just a fun place to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're on Facebook. At Carson we are on Facebook, Carson Hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's how we'll find you. Yeah. Well, thank you for you coming so in welcome. and taking your time. I know you're so busy and your practice. so fun. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, and you know, Robin, that's just things that people need to know. I had no idea. But, you know, when I scatter, when I, you know, scram very quickly from your office. I just, just denial. So everyone needs to know this information. That's my job is to to educate. And I think you'll get excited. I think, you know, I, I tell, I say patient, I use the word fun way too much, but I'll say, isn't, I said, we're going to have fun. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like there's nothing fun about being here right now. (laughs) Um, and sure enough, six months later, they'll say, this has been so fun. Right. And so there's a way that you can do it where it is fun um, and easy. 
And helping people. Mm -hmm. That's most important. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you. This was fun. Yes. And everyone, please go and rate and review this. We're trying to get up in that Apple and uh, Spotify world and the podcast world and let me know what you'd like to hear. And please follow me at Tiffany C. Blackman. Everyone, I hope you learned something today and go see Dr. Robin. We all need it. I have a feeling. But go see Dr. Robin at Carson Hearing. And everyone, have a wonderful day and keep being fabulous. Fabulous.